We're back to the Neil Haley show and I'm excited about my guest. And then again, we're talking some interesting stuff, top secret stuff. <laughs> As we were talking off air, um, author Crispin Boyer from National Geographic Kids, top secret. How are you, Crispin? Thanks for stopping by. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's kind of like jump into specifically enough. How did you get involved with National Geographic and all that stuff? And did it start there or did you write some stuff before even getting involved with them? Uh, well, yeah, I was a newspaper reporter in North Carolina for a while. And then I worked in magazines, uh, spe especially video game magazines for about 12 years. And I started writing the video game content for National Geographic Kids. And I was starting to wanted to, to branch out a bit. And then I started writing for them feature stories about animals and wildlife. And next thing you know, I'm writing books about history, ninjas, knights, and boogers and gross stuff. And uh, eventually I've written enough kind of history and nonfiction books for them. There'd always be some little aspect of the topic that I was researching that were like a little extra nugget of information that I would file away, like exactly. something unknown. And then when they said, let's do a book called Top Secret, I referred back to all these things that I kind of stashed, all these hidden facts from all these other books. And so I guess what I'm saying is I've trained my whole life to write Top Secret. You train your whole life to write Top Secret. And so is this just for kids or do you, do you think adults will like this as well? Uh, I think, I, mean, I hope that adults will like it. I kind of see it as the perfect bathroom book. Um, it's just really nuggety. It's a lot of fun spreads broken down. So, you know, you got 15 minutes to kill or whatever, and uh, you can read about the, the president's car and all of its secret features, or you can read about secret programs at NASA. Uh, it's got all these topics that really ignite a kid's imagination, but at the same time, um, it might be a lot of stuff that adults don't know too. And these are all truths. Like these aren't fake things like Inspector Gadget type stuff. This is real. This is all real. Some of it seems like it might be Inspector Gadget. Some of it seems like a movie. And sometimes I do debunk things, uh, conspiracy theories. But no, it's all, uh, that's, you know, National Geographic would, uh, they vetted the, the they had fact-checked everything. And uh, I, I interviewed a real CIA agent for some of it too and got oh, some wow. insight from her uh, that informed other parts of the book. So it's, it's, all, it's all true. That's great. It's all true. And it's all fun. And exactly. And so I, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of I don't want to give away the book, but I want to just talk about the research is from all before. Why did you cover different types of things? And you said you wrote and different things like that. How much of this is research versus you just had it? Is it in articles you've written or different things? So it really it's to an adult audience you wrote to and now you're making it kids. That's different, right? In certain ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. I would say it's it's all 90% new information. But so say, you know, I wrote a book a long time ago about uh, a road trip across the U.S., stopping at the Washington Monument. Okay. And then I real, wrote, realized at the time that Lincoln's head has a secret room in it. It didn't really fit in what I was working on, but I stashed that away and wrote about it now. I've written about ninjas for other books, but in this book, okay. I really get into the top secret history of ninjas. So it's kind of taking what I wrote before, wrote before and then diving deeper into the secret aspects of it. So when National Geographic thinks of something even for kids, they want it to be something that's going to end up in schools as well, right? This book is not going to be just, you know, purchased by consumption. School librarians are going to want to pick this up, right? And they have I, yeah, and I think that's a, actually a big part of their business, uh, school libraries and also book fairs and things like that. Yeah, and even less books passed around in the playground and, and that kind of thing. 
because uh, you know it's like the, my book my goal with this book is to have information that not everybody knows so a, a young reader could get it and then they'll know something that say their parents or their uncles or aunts don't know and for a young reader that's a pretty big deal especially nowadays <laughs> so you know I, I mentioned like the secret room in the in the Washington Monument or you know that the government actually worked on flying saucer shaped uh, aircraft uh, these are things that you know when a parent might say flying saucers aren't real and a, a, a boy or girl can be like aha but there was one <laughs> that the government worked on at area 51 in the 1950s so those are the so, kinds of like gotcha just, moments yeah so when you went to area 51 i'm just saying you interviewed somebody from area 51 did you debunk something that there really are aliens living on area 51 remember the whole thing i think it was last year everyone was going to just go and yeah. they came up with this joke we're going to attack area 51 especially the whole ufo <laughs> thing did you debunk that in the book a little bit or well not? all all i can really do with that is get the official word and then get various eyewitnesses so you know area 51 kind of goes all the way back to the crash in roswell new mexico a famous exactly. crash of the government said a weather balloon and uh some eyewitnesses on the scene said it was actually a saucer shaped crash there was pilots in the vehicle. I'm sorry, I have a rooster. No, I love this. <laughs> See, the, no, no, that is not a rooster. That is that rooster is trained in martial arts, telling you that That's, somebody's trying to look in, look see. There you go. Okay. That's that much is he is trained in martial arts. I'll tell you that. Um, but uh, so yeah, so with Area 51, it's kind of a legend that grew in the telling that the, they whisked away the pilots of a crashed UFO. The government says it was a weather balloon or possibly a manned craft. So over the years, you know, because Area 51 is such a top secret place, uh, the official word is that's where they test top secret aircraft. That's why it's basically this long runway in the middle of the desert. But there are a lot of strange structures you see on satellite photography, but it is really hard to get any information or to get close to it. Because that so is tell me how you call as a reporter and say, hi, I'm writing a book for National Geographic and I want to find information on Area 51. How does that happen as a journalist? Because, you know, I have to get celebrities all the time and people like yourself to get on my show. And it's a process. And it's a process for some celebrities that take forever and going through all these different things but i've never done more of the journalist coverage to say you know what i want to find about this research so when you said okay part of the top secret thing is going to be area 51 what did you have to go about doing to get that information well for area 51 it's more about googling people that are involved in past stories making contact with them and then just following up and asking questions like uh for the cia agent that i interviewed she had given, I, I noticed that she had been given many interviews in the past. I figured she was media friendly. And um, sometimes it's about other people want to promote a book too. So you mentioned their book <laughs> that whenever you interview them. So, um, you know, with the, with the Area 51, it wasn't a rich vein because it is such a top secret location that it ended up being a lot of kind of previously reported stories because uh, there's a lot of dead ends when it comes to something like that. Exactly. But whenever I, I talked to the like the CIA agent, um, she would she provided information that was on the record for the interview in the book. She provided information that was for background that informed other parts of the book that I couldn't I couldn't say that she provided. So uh, it, it was it was a bit of like the reader facing information, and then the, the other was just 
like when I had information in there about the, the lifestyle of a spy that she couldn't necessarily divulge in, from her public persona, but I could use it to inform the reader that, you know, basically spies live this life of a lie and it's very difficult and it's not as exciting as like a James Bond right. film, but it's just as dangerous, you know, and, and that was a big part of it too, is kind of debunking the myths that movies portray in terms of government cover-ups and, and, spies like James Bond, like, you know, or TV shows like Alias, like they always portray spies as these incredibly attractive fit uh, right. individuals who mix martial arts and drive fast cars and jump out of helicopters. But honestly, if that happens to a spy, if they get into a fight or have to jump off a building or, or run from a fireball, then they've totally screwed up their mission and are probably going to get fired and probably at very least captured because, uh, you know, Spies just want to blend in. They just want to disappear. Exactly. No, no, they, they, they do for sure. So how much fact checking, once you did all the research, the great fact checkers, editors, that was probably an interesting process because I know this for writing for as the sports category director for podcast magazine. When I do my interviews, like with you, I'll go back and I have to send it to my editor and then the yeah. fact checking starts. Yeah. And boy, yeah. oh boy. But I couldn't imagine a book, especially this book. Yeah, well, it's a process I'm pretty used to with them because they have a really good fact-checking department, and all of my, most of my books are are nonfiction, so they're all fact. So you've so, written how many books have you written with National Geographic? Oh gosh, probably about twenty-five at this point. Twenty-five. Um, yeah. yeah, I've been writing for them since two thousand eight, so I, they keep me pretty busy, which is great. Um, but yeah, so you know, just you you know what I'm talking about. You get it back with all of these right. note, like notes in the margins, oh, queries. Oh, they, <laughs> the whole thing where you have to view it on a certain thing and say asking these questions, and you have to go back. Oh, I understand exactly. <laughs> yeah, and they contact the people that I talk to just to verify everything. And uh, but it's it's pretty it's pretty. I mean, it's it's not a fun process, but it's a necessary process. And it's ultimately, it makes everything better and it's not that stressful. I mean, it just makes, it makes me, keeps me on my toes. Yeah. And as a writer, would you, what would you rate your writing? I mean, cause you're creative, you're a good researcher, but for people out there that might not be the greatest writer, but yet are very creative and can create a good story and can do a book like this. Do you discourage them or do you say good, hire a good editor if they want to be where you end up today? Definitely get a good editor, get someone who's honest that you need that's, you know, as you know, as a sports writer, you need another pair of eyes to, to look over things. You'll, when you're I sure as heck never thought I'd call myself a writer, Crispin. I am a communicator. I'm a talker. That's why uh, I love Clubhouse. communicator. Because I go on Clubhouse and I, I'm a journalist in that way with my voice. And I, mm -hmm. hopefully everything turns to voice someday. Then I'll be in good shape, right? No more writing words. All you do is talk it out. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Then I'll be like, out of work. <laughs> no, no, I think you'd be a good talker. But but that's, you know, with the whole social voice. Yeah, yeah. Because I think writer is the most powerful thing in the world. And many people in schools, because I'm a former teacher, I'm kind of just bringing this story. And you're like, wow, we've, we've gone full circle in this interview. But I, I love it. Because if I was on the radio, I'd be like, okay, quickly. But I see that person that I'm looking over in the other screen and your motivation and everything that what telling writers, you know, that process of really not being, becoming who you are, how they become good. You said a good editor, but what other strategy you think would be good for them? Well, it, uh, I mean, well, reading a lot because a, a good writer reads a lot. You get a lot of insight. Really? Okay. Um, 
uh, I would say that's the number one. And actually, you know, I when I'm not writing, I'm reading, and I, I try and, and always always be reading. It just keeps you know fresh ideas in your mind. Really, just being concise. That's the biggest trick, especially when you're writing for younger a younger audience, because kids have you know they they've got all these things competing for their attention: video games, movies, TV. So a book, getting them to sit down and read a book is kind of a big ask right now. <laughs> so Right. So it's almost like bite size compared to the other writers of other books where it's very detailed. You have to get yeah. to the point quickly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and just using a lot of examples that are relatable to the reader. I mean, on top of writing for uh, writing nonfiction for National Geographic, most, they've started writing fiction books. And I'm writing a series for them called Zeus the Mighty that kind of teaches Greek mythology through a fictitious tale of a little hamster who thinks he's Zeus, the king of the gods. So this is, for me, a new type of writing going from nonfiction, transitioning to fiction. And in some ways it's easier because I'm making it up, I'm pretty much making it all up in my head. I don't have to do a lot of research other than know the basics of Greek mythology. So in that sense, it's easier. But in the other sense, it's more difficult because I have to paint a picture uh, of, of the action of the scenes. I have to write dialogue. So it's a totally different animal. And I guess if, if someone's considering being a writer, they should decide what do they like more? Do they like taking exactly. information, synthesizing it, and then putting it into a real easy to digest nugget because it's like kind of like telepathy. You're, you're like transmitting your thoughts to the reader in a very clear and concise and hopefully colorful way. Or go into fiction where it's just you know, carte blanche. You can write whatever you want, create whatever scenarios you want. But at the same time, the story has to be like tight and concise. And it's, and that's where an editor comes in, where an editor will be like, this whole sequence is garbage. And now how do they it. come up with that? The editors are not good. They're not, they're, they're good writers. They're great writers, but they're not creative writers. What would you define the best editors? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Cause I mean, that, you think about that. I think I can write well, I can write quickly. I can write a lot of concise stuff. The good tip you just brought up, read more. And now I'll have more time to read and I'm just going to mm -hmm. read stuff in my craft because I try to become this insider in every area of my full 360 marketing business. So I understand from social media, what's new with Instagram, all those different things. And then now I need to write them. I need to talk them and I need to have the right team in place that can edit them because they're, if you told them, go write an article on Instagram, if they're an editor, that's not their skill set. So you, when yeah. you're looking at hiring an editor, an editor spends time seeing those missing words, seeing that there's no detail, questioning what you're writing. Isn't that right? What an editor does, a good, a good editor? Yeah, and an editor will be specialized. So, you know, I work with editors in children's fiction. So this editor will, will my editor knows what, how much exposition can capture can, before you start boring the audience. But all, her, my editor's best advice to me is always, show don't tell like don't have this have the scenes play out in and you don't necessarily have to have one character explaining what's happening but have the scenes play out and also a, an editor of, of say fiction will understand the different principles of story structure like you know it's like a, with a film has three acts where they should all be paced a certain way and a good editor understands that too and studies that and knows it better than I do and can help you know, my editor works with me from out from the outline of the story through, I'd say, five revisions. Wow. 
Well, so it takes, it's a lot of back and forth and, and just, you know, as a writer, I got to have a thick skin and cause I know that what she's telling me is going to, Oh, that's why I don't like writing. I don't want to have a thick skin. Then <laughs> don't tell me why I didn't interview you well and say, Neil, you didn't, but I wanted to tell a story. And this is where we could kind of break these into different podcasts. What's happening now because of my role. And now I'm living on clubhouse as a, cl a podcast expert. I'm more and more seeing, wow, there was a lot of content I could use in these interviews that might not be about promoting it that you've given us nuggets and writing you should think about a writing podcast especially for children's writers that would be a huge for you and what you're doing all right where can we purchase the book top secrets so i gave you a top secret secret in my always giving dropping gems if you've not been on clubhouse yet you got to go on clubhouse i'm dropping gems right now telling our listeners out there the importance and viewers the importance of writing but for you to purchase your book especially you know all these parents out there say I need to get a book right now for great summer reading. I can't believe we're talking summer reading. And if you're, and hopefully every school in the country has this when they go back to the library, but where can we get the book? Oh, uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can also go to natgeokids.com. Um, yeah. And it should be at local bookstores too. If you can support your local bookstore, that's always great. Uh, but yeah, if you just wanted to show up at your door, you just go on Amazon. Hey, I love it. And I'm so glad we got to connect face-to-face uh, -face, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about you and everyone needs to check you out for sure. And are you on social media yourself? Because again, you've written so many books. Are you on social that people can check you out? Are you on social, Chris, that people can check you out? Uh, no, not really. If, uh, if you go to... If you go to just natgeokids.com, that's pretty much where my okay. stuff lives. I see. So you're living on that as the the, the kids writer, but you uh, for not geo, but uh, other things. I understand. Well, I appreciate stopping by, Crispin. Great information. Get top secret today. Check it out, and uh, best of luck to you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I had a blast right. chatting. You're, you're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom from Rejection, Truth, Trust, Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? I'm doing good this morning, Neil. Are you? 
hey, you know, I'm doing great. It's spring and let's just keep going. Right. Let's excite. Um, get it's getting warmer and uh, exciting time being in this part of April for sure. Okay, today we're going to do a program and I've ten tentatively entitled it Everything You Wanted to Know About Gossip. Our guest today is Howard Bronson. Howard is a behavioral therapist from Vermont. Well, good morning and thank you for that, uh, that flattering uh, description of me. I hope I can live up to it. Well, you did last time. I guess you're going to do it again. Um, Howard, getting started, would you define gossip uh, the way that you see it to be? Well, you know, it, it's really interesting. First of all, I feel gossip is basically the mother of racism. Misunderstanding and gossip is where racism is born. Thinking negatively of this group or that group. Um, so when you look for dictionary definitions of gossip, this is really interesting. They'll talk about secrets and the sharing of secrets or the intimate sharing of information about another person. What they tend to leave out when is that most of these secrets, most of these things people say behind your back are false because if they were true, people wouldn't be saying them behind your back. So gossip is dangerous. We know that gossip exactly. can cause people yeah. to kill themselves. Um, what other ways is gossip dangerous? Well, I, I think that, <clears throat> you know, there are, I, I came up with this adage where, uh, which is if politicians built airplanes, nobody would fly. Kind of a, you know, a cute little saying, but when you think about it, education is always the answer. Learning how to do something properly or understanding something clearly and learning how to weigh facts and separate facts from fiction. So <clears throat> gossip is in every element of our lives. You could have, I had a neighbor, <laughs> I have all these great Vermont stories, and he insisted that you could always be on your knees when you're working in your garden. Well, we have a problem with two very dangerous types of uh, ticks, uh, deer ticks up here. Um, and of course he got Lyme disease because you know he was saying, that's what you do. That's what he's always known and that's what you do. So misunderstanding is not just, oops, I'm sorry. Oh, I was wrong about what I said about that person or what I did. Um, it can really cause harm. Um, people seem to enjoy gossiping. Do you see an underlying philosophical or psychiatric or psychological defect in a person's thinking when they enjoy gossiping? Well, you, you know, as you know, as basically the master and authority on addictions, um, you know, there are things that people do, <coughs> excuse me, 
that give them a sense of, of glee, but beyond that, uh, almost a, uh, an increase of dopamine. Um, and you know, people who are addicted to food, uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, you know, lying, whatever it is. Um, so that when we are speaking about other people, for so many of us, there's a rush of that glee. They're almost, you could almost argue there's somewhat of a dopamine rush from some people where they're saying, you know, they're talking about someone else and they feel this sense of satisfaction. You know, hmm, I, I got it out there. I put it out there. You know, years ago in Boston, uh, in, you know, the, the severe local Boston male uh, political races, um, the opponents used to send people on subways, on the MTAs, to start gossip and to start rumors, because this also you know, involves rumors, about their opponents. And in a matter of hours, those rumors would spread all over Boston. So what we need to teach people how to do is say, wait a minute, is this true? Can you prove it? Would you say that uh, a good caveat would be, if you can't prove it, don't say it? Well, I think, you know, the, the thing is, it's like so tempting when, when we are, it's like when you and I are writing a book and the vessel of our information fills up, you've got to like, like pour out that vessel. You've got to like share that information. And when we have something about someone else, uh, or something on someone else. Uh, it's so hard to not say something. But, you know, if we're respectful people, we might find different ways to say that. Like, um, does Joe, um, you know, really have contagious poison ivy or whatever? Um, there are ways, you know, without asserting that it's true Again, we go back to wonder and the question. Um, so you, you can stop the malicious gossip. Anybody can if you find that you're just talking about someone else. And what happens to me when, you know, I'm with a group of people and someone says, did you hear that, you know, Jim gained 20? And I, I try as hard as I can to go, wait, Jim's not here. Stop. Don't say that. See, Howard, uh, that's, 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 that's really, elsewhere. Howard, that's really hard to just do that in a conversation with somebody. No question, because what I'm looking to do is affect our DNA. I'm looking to change the way we look at ourselves and look at each other. We are, you know, there's the debate. Are we a racist country? Yes, we are an extremely racist country very exclusive, uh, you know, the country clubs, the circles. So everybody has their own clique. That is so deeply unhealthy. And what I'm looking to do is basically, my goal is to end racism, not to say, oh, you know, let's do marches and put up signs and say racism, racism, racism. No, we need to look at our behavior, look at the way that we look at each other. And like I said last in our last interview, you know, with the Me Too movement and sexual harassment 
uh, in the workplace has changed markedly from these very public trials and very public reports over the past few years. It's helped to change men's consciousness and women, some women, uh, for the better. We can do the same with racism if we stop simply talking about it and we start really looking at ourselves and our own subconsciousness, <clears throat> excuse me, our own subconscious and say, wait a minute, am I a racist? I need to take a look at this. How do you answer that question personally? Am I a racist? Right. <clears throat> yes. And, and it's not that I anti any group. Uh, of course, I'm against groups that want to cause harm to people or, you know, are not supportive of minorities. But we all have presumptions. We all have prejudices. We couldn't walk out of the house or drive a car if we didn't have basic understandings. The key is to have healthy understandings and to, to take a second look at the way we're treating people. I mean, you know, we support uh, a few uh, very uh, impoverished, struggling neighbors, and we give them, we give away 10% on average, sometimes five, but usually about 10% of our belongings, or sometimes we help them with projects. Um, and I was helping these people but inside, I was kind of looking down at them, thinking, you know, why are they struggling like this? You know, they're able-bodied and, you know. But, but the fact that we look down at people, sometimes that suppresses them. And sometimes how we look at someone <clears throat> affects the way they look at themselves. So, you know, what we need to do is take a look at ourselves. We need to believe in the best of ourselves. And we need to treat people, we need to level the playing field, give everybody an opportunity to develop their best capabilities and their best gifts. Let's uh, skip back. We talked about addiction a, a minute or two ago. And as you know, I've been helping people get rid of and cure their addictive behaviors. Uh, I want to talk about that in this sense. Is gossip an addiction? And my definition of addiction is if you have any behavior that is harming you in some way, either physically, mentally, socially, uh, um, or spiritually, or any way that you find out is harming you, or is harming someone you love as a result of your behavior, and you can't stop it, for whatever reason you want to give, then you're addicted to that behavior. Now, if you use that definition on the uh, concept of gossip, and I, I would think that gossip would fit under the broader addiction of negative thinking, is that, in your opinion, a valid, a valid way of thinking about it? Gossip is an unconscious, for the most part, negative addiction. When I say unconscious, we are, for the most part, not aware of what we're doing. When we talk about somebody, again, behind their back, and if we're talking about somebody in a kind and favorable way, 
look at your life, walk, look at the way you are for the next two days and look at the compliments that you pay to people where you look them in the eye and you're face to face with them, of course, socially distant in these times and consider how often you talk about somebody behind their backs. Now, a lot of times we talk about someone behind their backs because we have an issue with them and we can't resolve it. So we have this knee jerk unconscious addiction to gossip about it. Instead, we need to learn how to talk with people. You know, I, uh, gee, you know, I don't like the way, you know, you were making fun of that woman at the bar last week. Um, you know, you talk to people. We all can learn how to do things better. And, you know, my intention in the book Speak Up is to say that the reason that we're playing the same old record, the cruel record of speak up of racism is that we're not looking looking at the issue with sufficient depth. We're not being outraged at how so many of us are looking down at other people instead of looking across at them. Um, somebody said, uh, let's say, you can't build yourself up by tearing somebody down. The only way that you can improve your self-image and your self-esteem is to lift another person up. Is that what you're saying? What, what my instincts tell me is that we feel the best when we are giving or kind or complimentary to people. We feel the strongest and when we are forgiving. Um, Carl Jung, you know, the great psychiatrist, philosopher, uh, brilliant, brilliant mind, um, said this. He said, thinking is difficult. That's why most people judge. We have a world of many judges, of people judging each other and, you know, wanting to lord over one another. Uh, and, you know, that is, that is so unhealthy. You said um, in explaining um, something in your book, um, let's say that you make an unfounded statement. For example, you can survive by only eating tomatoes. And the person that you're telling that to believes you. Now, isn't it the recipient of that statement's responsibility to know better? So, do you have to stop gossiping or does the recipient have to stop being so gullible? Well, you know, caveat emptor, uh, buyer beware. If, if somebody is telling me um, that I won't achieve a heightened state unless I take magic mushrooms or LSD, um, you know, to me, those kinds of things make me inherently uncomfortable. And this tomato example, um, if you say to someone, oh, you can survive on tomatoes. Exactly. Uh, and you're vulnerable and you're gullible, you're going to, you know, you could, you could literally die. There's no protein in that fruit. Um, so 
you know, you can prey on the less knowledgeable. I'm not going to say ignorant because you have people, millions, tens of millions of people who, you know, are conditioned to watching videos and watching TV and believing every infomercial. And most politicians are basically running ostensibly infomercials. They're running shows so they can raise money. It's up to us to start thinking more, each of us as individuals, and to say, wait a minute, is this true? Can you prove this? Where's your evidence? Yes. Uh, yes. So I guess, Howard, where do, where do we go from gossip? What do we do? Where do we go? What do we do? When somebody gossips, when somebody starts to say, I heard about you know this party or that party, we need to stand up and we need to speak up. And we need to say, wait a minute, that person's not here. That's not fair. You know, the, it's, it's like setting them up for trial without letting them defend themselves. We need to understand how weak this is. Now, look, our humor from what it was a hundred years ago with the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers and, you know, has changed markedly. It used to be and stereotyping African-Americans and, you know, other people of color. Um, that was the humor. We can see a society, we can measure the, the tenor of a society by virtue of its humor. So it, it changes everything. Humor stretches how much we're going to take, how much we'll tolerate, but it also makes fun and kind of compels us to evolve. So in the, the changes are subtle, but definite. Uh, if we look at our humor, we consider what we think is funny. Uh, and we say, wait a minute, I used to think it was funny to make fun of this group or that group or this person or that handicapped, that disabled person. Um, you know, now I understand it's not funny. So these are the kind of subtle veins that run through our society that allow us to change. And when we hear newscasts, and especially in newscasts or alleged newscasts, making outlandish claims and statements about individuals uh, without any evidence or with, you know, again, ridiculous rationalization, but no real basis in fact, uh, there are people that eat that up and go, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the guy I don't like is, you know, sleeps with his, his cats and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we need as a society to wake up, start thinking about what our true purpose is as an individual, why we're here and what we can do to help heal this earth, not to add to the harm of it and not to make people enemies, but to figure out how we can work together and build the right teams of people that can help advance worthy causes. Howard, let's uh, let's take a personal uh, question here. Uh, in your town, what do people think of you, and have you been the target of negative gossip? And how have you <laughs> dealt with that? That's a great question, um, and funny because you know I, I once heard you you can never be a saint in your own town. Um, I have wonderful friends. And I mean, 
scores of wonderful friends throughout the, you know, the Wyndham County Valley, and I'm privileged in Southern Vermont to have those friends. And they support me. And I have enemies. I have people who are uh, jealous of me, um, who have, um, you know, said spiteful things about me, have said uh, racial things about me being Jewish. Um, I've had, you know, and, and a lot of times what my position has been was not to respond. But let me tell you an interesting story is uh, a very close friend of mine had heard some things about me. He was a very close friend. And instead of coming to me and saying, whoa, you know, I heard such and such and, you know, this silly, it was a ridiculous story. And instead of coming to me with the story, I had to hear it fourth or fifth hand. You know, it's like playing telephone. And, and I heard it from someone else who said, you know, uh, this is what they're saying about you. What do you want to do about it? And I said, absolutely nothing. I said, there's sometimes when people say things, you have to stand up for yourself uh, or people will believe them. But to me, it was like, I just had this sense. Well, anyway, this friend who's my contemporary, it was a, one of my closest friends at one time, um, suddenly died of a massive heart attack in his sleep. He died with misinformation about me. I could have gone to him at any time and said, you know, here's what's true, do what you wanna do with it. So again, we talk about the tomato example and the recipient, it was up to him to make the decision to decide whether it was true or not. And he took, in my view, and this is not to be disrespectful, but he took the lazy way out by being a judge and I write about that in the book, you know, just tell your truth, do the best you can. And in your little town, you know, you're kind to people. I said in the last interview, you know, I changed the tire for a family um, in the bl raging blizzard about seven weeks ago. It was freezing out there and they were really stuck and the kids were crying and, you know, and I, I changed the tire and I helped the guy out. I, I got him out, made sure he was okay, followed him home. I didn't ask about his beliefs, his religious beliefs, or his politics. You just help your neighbor. And that's one of the great metaphors of Vermont. We don't, you know, judge people for the most part. But sometimes in a little town, people get sloppy and lazy about the way they're thinking. My job, my calling is to wake them up. Howard, um, you have a utopian view of the world where nobody ever says anything malicious about anyone else. Do you really think that people can change <laughs> their gossiping behavior? Well, <laughs> let me tell you another story. I guess maybe I've been in Vermont too long because I'm full of stories. But um, <clears throat> we have these beautiful cars we worked hard for. Um, and um, <clears throat> we decided instead of getting new cars that we'd fix them up, that it was worth, you know, putting substantial capital into both cars uh, and fix them up. And they're okay for now, but they're old cars. So something else is going to go wrong and something else is going to happen. And, you know, all of a sudden I thought, oh my goodness, you know, there are intelligent optimists and what I was with the cars was a stupid optimist. 
you, you don't want to put your faith and hope uh, into things that aren't going to work. But I think what we need, we need to raise our sense of utopia or utopianism, I guess, in each of us of what would make this a better world. Is this a better world because someone's taking drugs every day or drinking or having, a, you know, dealing with a sexual addiction or not getting along with their family? Are they making a better world? Or could they focus, could they look at their purpose and what they were born to do and help people in some way? So my utopia, my optimism about this world is an intelligent optimism. I've seen how we can evolve. I've seen how we can do better. I've also seen in this world, around the world, how one bad leader, I mean, you know, I have friends in Miramar, I have friends in Russia, how one untoward leader can create an entire society of people living in suppression and fear, where all they really have is their art and their poetry. Um, we are born to live freely, to breathe freely. Uh, we do that by learning to be kind to each other and by finding and selecting God willing, good leaders who are in our corner, who are supporting our quest to be true contributive individuals. We've been uh, talking with um, Howard Bronson today. His book is called Speak Up and I can recommend this book highly. There's more good stuff in it that you can get out of it uh, than any amount of money could uh, buy you. So I would recommend you get a copy. Howard, how about a short uh, infomercial on, on your book? <laughs> well, you know, as you know, uh, when books, we think a lot about a book. And as I was saying earlier, the vessel fills up. And I was thinking that we each know stuff. And I know stuff about racism because I've been picked on, you know, when I was a little one, I was dyslexic. Um, I had a hand defect. I couldn't throw a ball. I was uncoordinated. I was picked on all the time and it hurt. It hurt to be bullied. And I thought, you know, wait a minute, there's something inside of me. I have something to say. And here I am as a dyslexic, not expected to really be able to read and forget writing. I became, and again, I'm not embellishing. I became an acclaimed writer and a successful writer under contract with Waldorf Publishing, under contract with Penguin Random House, under contract with Time Warner because I heard an inner voice. And what happens with most people is they hear the loudness of the bully voice, of the negative voice, of the racist voice, and it suppresses their own true voice. So they join the wrong group as a consequence. What I'm saying is speak up for righteousness, speak up for fairness to your fellow human being. Let's make that change and we can really begin to evolve again as a society. See the haters as haters. See the people who are for humanity as the decent people. Take a second look at your life 
read Speak Up. It's designed for people to wake them up to the issues of unconscious racism and what they can do to lead healthy, productive, meaningful lives. So, Howard, your book is available on Amazon.com. Um, do you want people to go to your website? Um, yeah, it's available on Amazon. If you want to learn more, because as you know, I have seven books out this year <laughs> and my wrists are killing me. <laughs> I'm sure you've been through that. Um, if you go to my website at freeenterprisesolutions.com, that's free enterprisesolutions.com. It describes everything that we're doing and each book uh, and then whatever book you want to buy. Uh, and please, you know, you'll see the books. <clears throat> We've got a marriage book. We have a book about stumbling, which I think we might, you and I might talk about next week. Um, we have an entrepreneurial book that is second to none um, and the others. <laughs> so many, I can't even remember. Um, but I put my heart into each book, uh, and you know what that's like. Uh, you write a book, you empty out your knowledge in that book, and then you know you you've got to take a few weeks and just kind of regenerate. So again, freeenterprisesolutions.com. Thank you, Howard. Uh, Neil. Oh yeah, yeah. Any any yeah, parting comment? I would just add is the whole thing with gossip that Howard's so right. Anytime you get yourself in the gossip, you're going to get yourself into trouble. And if you're gossiping as a, you know, just to bring out information that you don't have any truth in, all you're doing is leading to more people to gossip. So Howard, if they could take your perspective, they have a much better life for sure. in, in so many ways than dealing with it, because once we gossip, we stress more about things. We don't, we don't, feel happy and we bring ourselves down as well, Howard, through gossip. Right. So I, I had a client, you know, I'll just quickly say um, who <clears throat> was very severe bipolar and would have almost Tourette-like outbursts that were very assaulted. And so what I had her do when she was feeling this coming on and she'd feel her voice change and the, all the storm warnings were there. I would say, just say these two words to yourself over and over again. Be kind, be kind, be kind. And this is what I'm saying to people out there. Uh, I'm not you know, completely just a hippie from the 60s. I am an advocate for kindness and fairness. We have gone off course over the past several years. We have put financial interests way above the interest of the individual. We need to get back on course. And it's knocked a lot of us off our path. We need to get back on those paths. Thank you, Howard. Um, closing then, it's been my pleasure to have you listening to the show today. It's my sincerest desire for you to get something from it that will make your life richer, fuller, and in this time of the coronavirus pandemic, safer. I am Reverend Wynn Henderson, as an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor, I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve freedom from addiction, share your mission, and truth just below the surface is the longest running, single hosted and produced, spiritually based radio, internet talk show in America. It has been continuously running for over 20 years.
and I introduce you to celebrities and non-celebrities alike who have something to say about the disease of addiction in its 30 plus different forms and about the importance of finding your mission or purpose in life and then acting on it. My mission or purpose is to spread a message that there is a cure for all addictive behaviors. And this is a spiritual cure. And the treatment program is profiled in my book, Freedom from Addiction 3. It's available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. And if you meet three simple criteria, everybody gets well. I have uh, two free resources where you can start your journey. The uh, link to my podcast is www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. Spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N, no caps, no spaces. And for more detailed uh, information about the treatment plan for addictions, go to www.revwinhendersonmd.com. And that's the program for today, Howard and Neil, and hope everybody uh, uh, has a good rest of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, guys, that was again Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Trust, Below, Service, and the Neil Haley Show. Take care, everyone. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom for Addiction, Truth, Just Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? What's going on? I'm doing good, Neil. Today, I'm going to talk about the role of vitamin D3 in COVID-19 disease. Getting the word out about this, especially to the Black community and the elderly in nursing homes, could have a significant impact on future hospitalization and death rates from this virus. If you have a loved one in a nursing home, taking the time to talk to medical management about vitamin D testing and supplements could also make a big difference in the general health of all nursing home residents as vitamin D is something that can strengthen your immune system in a matter of a few weeks and has many health benefits besides lowering your risk of viral disease. And Neil, that's what I have on vitamin D. It's um, cheap, it's effective, and it's safe. And I recommend that you look into it, research it, talk to your doctor about it, and then do it. Well, great information. Again, go to... Uh freedomfromaddiction.com, uh, freedomfromaddiction.lipson.com. Is that correct? Is that correct? Yeah, uh, it's uh, freedomfromaddiction, 
Doc Lipson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N.com. And you can pick up this and all our other podcasts. Excellent. Okay. Well, appreciate you coming by this year, listening to the Neil Haley Show, special simulcast with Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Justice, Below the Service. And we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Justice, Below the Surface. And the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? What's going on, man? Neil, um, there's uh, so much. Um in the in the media about you've got to wear a mask and it's being pushed so that either you wear them or there's a possibility that you can't do things like get on an airplane with that without uh, wearing a mask so i wanted today to talk about undisclosed mask dangers last year they said that we just need to slow down the rate of infection to avoid increasing deaths and overcrowding our hospitals. How do we go from that to now having to wear a mask everywhere the virus has been eliminated? Even though the vast majority and the disease, it is likely that at some point in the future, you will be given a trade-off. Mask mandates will be dropped as long as everyone gets vaccinated. But that discussion is for another day. And Neil, that's what I've got today. Oh, goodness gracious. And, it's, and how long we're going to wear a mask, that's going to be interesting. Really yeah, well, don't know if it's going to be years. And it just really changes the social experience if you add another component to this conversation it changes the social experience out where well can you imagine when the science says that mask wearing doesn't make a difference and they've got studies that show that the whole population of the united states in a mask for people that are promoting this uh ham? it's crazy man it's crazy all right, I think so, it's crazy. I, I don't understand it. All right, so best place again, we can connect you. Where can we connect with you when? Where's the best place again? Well, my free podcast is www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. And you spell Libson, boy, S Y N. If you have any uh, questions about, uh, addictive behaviors that you might have, and there's over 30 of them, uh, then go to my uh, website, www.revwinhendersonmd.com. All right, guys, that was, again, Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Justice, Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. Take care, guys.